Hello and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. We are talking about functional programming in this section of the podcast for Coin Chapter 2. I'm Aaron Stump and thank you for joining me today. Uh, last time I was talking a little bit about structured recursion schemes and um, this is a pretty big topic of sort of sub-literature in functional programming with some pretty hard to penetrate, at least for me, papers. Um, but the basic idea, as I mentioned last time, just by way of review, is that, uh, you know, if we're interested in this sort of point-free style of programming for conciseness, and we might decide we're not interested in it, but if we were trying to write programs this way, um, we're just trying to build f functions as combinations of other functions, um, so use combinators, higher-order functions, to glue our functions together to do what we want. Um, then, you know, the sort of gotcha was, as I explained last time, was sort of, well, how do you do recursion that way? How do you do recursive functions? To which the algebra of programming community, that's the terminology sometimes, or that's the name sometimes used for this style of programming, this approach to pure functional programming. And there's a great book called The Algebra of Programming by Bird. And, uh, goodness, I'm terribly sorry, I'm blanking for a moment on the co-author's name. Um, it's a really cool book. Uh, I'm working my way slowly through it, and it's, it's very interesting and informative. And anyhow, um, anyhow, to the algebra of programming folks say, we know, we, you know, yes, it's not maybe that obvious exactly how to do recursive functions, but we can tell you, you do them with catamorphisms. Um, and that's just the name derived from some Greek uh, that is used to describe these folds. But in a, in a general way. So we, we used to fold, if you've done any functional programming, you're used to fold on lists. And I reviewed that last time, so I think I won't review it again today. But, um, but doing a fold on a list is a special case um, for a particular um, set of constructors, namely nil and cons for lists. It's a particular special case of a catamorphism. And a catamorphism, uh, you can have catamorphisms for um, in a more general situation than just lists. And so folds uh, is sort of the answer. We do, we do recursion with a combinator that takes essentially takes in a base and a step case for the recursion and then it sort of its job is to use them to recurse through data that you, you know it's presented. So um, if you say fold and a step case and a base case you get a new function back that's ready to take a list and every time it sees the empty list, it's going to use the base case. And every time it sees a cons, that is a head data element glued onto its sublist, that's the tail, um, it's going to use, it's going to recursively compute the value for the tail. And then it's going to call the step case on the head element and that recursively computed value for the tail. So you present base and step case by saying, you know, the step case is, what do I do, what value do, am I wanting to compute if I, I'm presented with the head and the recursively computed value for the tail? So the step case isn't actually given the tail. It's not given some way to recurse on the tail. It's just given the result of the recursion for the tail. And that's, that's the basic idea of a fold. And, and that generalizes um, to a catamorphism. And... Um, uh, I guess I guess I do want to talk a little bit about this generalization because it's an important example of ideas from category theory making a useful impact on functional programming. And so the the generalization beyond just fold on a list is um, is based on the idea of a functor. 
Now remember, we were talking about the very, very basic idea of category theory is that you, a category is some collection of objects and then morphisms that go between these objects. And there are some special morphisms are required to exist. Like every time you have a, two morphisms, one from A to B and one from B to C, there has to be a composition morphism in your mathematical structure in order for it to be a category. And there also has to be identity morphism. So for any object A, you have to have an identity morphism from A to itself. And it's an identity in the sense that, sort of algebraic sense, that it is an identity with respect to composition. So if you have identity morphism composed with F, you just get F. And F composed with identity morphism, you again just get F. So anyhow, um, a functor, you know, so basically, as I understand, historically, category theory arose from thinking about certain kinds of, you know, in some general setting, um, well, okay, I don't know if this is how it arose, but there's a, a major point is made in the category theory literature about um, structure-preserving operations. You know, so we have an idea, um, you know, in abstract algebra, for example, you could have a group and a group homomorphism. It's something that preserves the group structure in a certain way. Um, and in category theory, if say you're trying to map from one category to another category, well, one very basic kind of mapping from one category to another is a functor. And if, for a functor, you basically have to say, where do the objects go? So if I say I've got two categories, you know, category one and category two. And I have to say, I have to explain how do I map all the objects of category one to objects of category two? And similarly, I have to explain how to map the morphisms. And here's where the very, very light amount of structure that you have in a category starts to sort of appear in some kind of interesting character because if I'm going to say, oh yes, there's this morphism, and remember, it doesn't have to be a, in its general, in general, it's not a set theoretic function. It's just a thing of some unknown kind that goes from object A to object B. Uh, and you know, if I'm going to map a morphism, let's say I have a morphism M that goes from A to B. I want to map this, to, and that's in category one. I want to map it over to category two to some other morphism. Well, for this all to make sense, the functor is required to map a morphism M from A to B. It has to map it to some morphism from, you know, what object should the, that morphism go, go from? Well, it should go from the, the objects that you get by applying the functor to A and B. So the functor tells you where to send objects and where to send morphisms from mapping to category one, from category one to category two. And it has to tell you, um, has to map the morphisms in a way that's sort of consistent with uh, the, um, the, the sort of source and target structure of this graph that, they, um, that the, category theory, the category can be viewed as. So again, you have to map a morphism from A to B. It has to be mapped to a morphism from the mapping of A to the mapping of B. Whatever the functor maps A and B to, morphism has to, be, to go between those in category two. Um, furthermore, so that's part of the structure that needs to be preserved. But what other, what other part of structure is there? We can ask ourselves this little question. Well, the category has compositions and identity morphisms. Those need to be preserved too. So the functor needs to map a composition in category one has to get mapped to a composition in category two. Um, and similarly, an identity morphism in category one has to get mapped to an identity morphism in category two. Uh, and so, um, so that's an idea, the idea of a functor. It maps category, one category to another, preserving the stru categorical structure. 
Um, and it turns out that um, under certain assumptions or in certain settings anyway, uh, in certain categories we could say, um, that you can get um, you can get least fixed points of these functors. So you can get, essentially you can get an inductive data type based on the functor. So for list, um, there's a functor uh, that basically describes the, the list structure um, that's, it encodes the information that the list is built out of the nil and cons. And other data structures, you know, have different functors that explain how they are built, the, the elements of the data type are built. And so, again, under certain conditions, we can, um, we can deduce the existence of data types, inductive data type, from a, a, a functor on a category. And, um, and it's for, and, and then we get uh, a fold operation for that data type. And so you can sort of, even if that's all, and I'm, you know, sorry if my explanation's not airtight there, but even if it's all, uh, doesn't, you know, seems a little bit abstract and hard to connect to, I mean, just imagine, another way to say it is just imagine for other data types like binary trees, could you figure out how to write a fold function over a binary tree? Sure. And in fact, you can, this can be done in a completely generic way um, for any functor. You can define a fold function for the data type that's induced by that functor. Um, and so, uh, so this idea of structured recursion schemes, the idea of a catamorphism, it's pretty general. It covers, well, basically, you know, a huge swath of um, sensible data types, most, most anything you'd want to program with, I think, in pure functional programming. Um, can be described as a functor and, and you can get a catamorphism for it. Um, and so you get a structured recursion scheme for this data type. And as I mentioned last time, you know, the sad thing though is that these structured recursion schemes aren't, it's not, um, they don't allow you to write some of the programs you would like to write in a natural way because they insist that you can only compute your value from the value that's recursively computed for the subdata. And not, not all functions work that way. Um, so anyway, um, so that's a little more about structured recursion schemes. And this is kind of, um, I probably just want to talk about that with the connection with category theory. And But the structured recursion scheme um, is sort of my segue uh, into chapter three, which is on the Curry-Howard isomorphism. So I'm planning to start that. That might be my very next episode will be to start talking about what's called the Curry-Howard isomorphism, which is a certain kind of connection between pure functional programming and constructive logic. Um, and this is sort of, this is really the basis of constructive type theory. Um, I should have called, maybe I should have called this the Iowa constructive type theory commute because that's really my focus. But we can talk, there are other kinds of type theory we can talk about as well. Um, but the Curry-Howard isomorphism is most pristinely seen for um, constructive logic and pure functional programming. So um, I, one little note I want to make was about the uh, um, these structure recursion schemes. There is, you can learn quite a bit, I think, by looking around online. People have pretty good blog posts about some of the ideas of these things. As I said, some of the papers are a little hairy. I mean, there's people trying to extend the scope of structured recursion schemes beyond just catamorphisms, beyond just folds. And there's something called a, a hylomorphism, for example, uh, which is an important structured recursion scheme. And 
as we'll talk about as we switch into chapter three, not all of these structured recursions are guaranteed to give you termination of the programs you write. Acatomorphisms, if you give them terminating base and step cases, um, then you're going to get a terminating function from the catamorphism. But some of these other structure recursion schemes don't guarantee termination, even in the presence of terminating step and base cases or equivalent ingredients that the recursion scheme wants. Anyway, uh, that's enough for today. So uh, thank you again for listening. Um, thanks to Matt Rice, who broke the ice on uh, the discussion forum, discussion board, which is linked from the Iowa Type Theory Commute website from my homepage. So if you have any questions or comments, feel free to post there. You can always email me if you prefer that method of communication. I'm happy to address your comments in those forums, or, or if it makes sense, I can talk about them on, this, on, the, on the air as well. Okay, thanks again for listening.